Mysteries to Die For is sponsored by Down and Out Books. The featured new release this week is Together They Were Crimson by Ryan Sales. She is unstoppable. She murders the elderly, seeing it as compassion against their suffering. The police can't curb her ritualized angel of mercy rampage. And as every new victim falls, the distance between the police and her increases. Then the killer is caught in an act by a young pregnant wife of Norm Braden. There is no option but to murder her, too. As a widowed Norm struggles to return to his family, to his normal, he is joined in grief by his wife's twin sister. But the killer is also having a difficult time recovering from a startling break in her own ritual. Killing Norm's wife has affected everything. So one day she visits Norm, offering an olive branch. Maybe they can help each other move past it all. Their codependent cat-and-mouse game begins. Revenge is within Norm's grasp, but his religious beliefs force him to see the killer's humanity despite her horrific shortfalls. The killer, a strange and exotic woman with a singular fixation on Norm, thinks she has found more than just the solution to her problems. She's found her completion, her other half. If only she can replace the memory of his dead wife. If she can do that, she can continue murdering. Together They Were Crimson by Ryan Sales is now available through Down and Out's website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and all of your favorite independent booksellers. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Some episodes will be my own. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, unless it's really bad and then he makes me start all over. This is season one. This season comes from my book, Widow's Run, which was published in 2019 by Down and Out Books. If you love clever, sharp-edged mysteries and thrillers, check out Down and Out on the web. Today's episode builds from the previous. You have to listen in order for the story to make sense. Start with the episode called, What a Lovely Corpse You Have, and catch up to us from there. We'll be here for you. We've listed a cast of characters in the show notes to help you keep track of the players. To recap, our hero, Diamond, has faked her death, burying the mainstream suburban professional she was to resurrect her CIA cover. Why? She needs to do what the police won't, investigate her husband's death. In the last episode, Diamond digs deeper into the relationship between her husband and agriculture lobbyist Buford Winston. As she plans her approach to the blowhard Buford, Ian Black breaks his habits, a sure sign of trouble. Diamond and Ian Dixon search Black's warehouse of a home, discovering his upholstery desecrated, a dead naked woman, and a beaten, nearly frozen Ian Black. Today's story is about things not being as they seem. This is episode 11, Buford Winston Loves His Ass.
A stubborn man can drive a good woman to drink. Hence, I stood in the doorway of my own bedroom with gray goose on the rocks. Do you have to make so much noise? Ian Black, the stubborn man, refused to go to even an unqualified health facility. Yow! The sound squeezed out between gritted teeth. His chest heaved in shallow breaths under the attention of Bruhilda, the nurse. It fucking hurts! Spittle flew from his cracked lips. Without x-ray, this is the best way I know if bones are broken. Brunhilda spoke with a faded, no-nonsense accent as she pressed her fingers along the ridges of his ribs, on skin purple and swollen. Ian tore my pillowcase apart at the seam. God damn it! Knock me out, Diamond! Just do it! Damn it, Ian! That's my pillow! I should pop you! Brunhilda shook her head, unimpressed with our banter. I need him responsive. I grinned at Ian. She needs you responsive. Ian gave me a one-finger salute as he glared at Brunhilde. Where the hell did they find you, the Flying Dutchman? Brunhilde looked at Andrew Dixon with maternal affection. Andrew and I are long friends. Dixon bounced in his position next to the bed. Mrs. Gunther works at the animal emergency room, the one open all night. Ian's head shot off my pillow. The animal hospital? Ah, yeah, Brunhilde said. We see car accidents all the time with injuries just like yours. I usually have to muzzle my patients. It's nice to ask, does this hurt? She worked a puffy area on his cheek. Ian yelped and scooched away as manly as possible. Yes, damn it, it hurts. Brunhilde pointed back to the warm spot in the bed. Stay put. I have muzzles and leashes in my bag. Ian sheepishly slid back into the divot he made, eyeing my vodka like a drowning man. Give me some diamond. I gave. He took, and then he drained my glass. He closed his eyes and inhaled deeply twice. Your bedside manner sucks. It was a toss-up who he was referring to. You're the only. You're the one who didn't want to go to an urgent care. I snatched the glass back, refilled it, and drank it myself. So how is our impatient patient? Mr. Nironsides is a very lucky man, Brunhilde said. Maybe a few cracked ribs, mostly bruises. He'll be colorful for a few days. Moving will be painful, but is good for you. She spoke to Ian now, patting his leg as though he were a good boy. If you have sharp pains or they do not lessen, be a smart man and go to the human emergency room. With Ian warm and dry, color returned to his face. Sure, they were blues and reds and purples, but underneath there was the rosy glow of someone who was among the living. You sleep now, Mr. Ironsides. Sleep is the best medicine for cat, dog, or man. Brunhilde Gunther left quickly after imparting wisdom. Her job was done, her patient out of the woods, so she moved on. Dixon and I sat on the edge of the bed, watching Ian. Ian's gaze flickered between the two of us. Don't tell me you're going to sit there all night. It's creepy. It is my bedroom, I said. A pervert smile adorned his chap lips. You planning on sleeping with me? Dixon snickered. I rolled my eyes. I'm taking the couch, but I'll be close enough to hear if you call. I want to review the file on Buford again. I have a bright and early flight for Tulsa, and I want all the ammo I can get to take him apart. Ian sat up, signaling Dixon to adjust the pillows. Go and get your computer, kid. We'll do it together. Ian watched Dixon walk out of the room and then turned his attention on me. There's a recovery order out for you, Diamond. Get real, Ian. I'm dead, remember? 
The idea that somebody would put up money to have me captured and turn over alive was ludicrous. Ridiculous. It's a hundred thousand ridiculous, Ian said. Bright and early refers to the sun's position and the time on the clock, not my disposition during said period. I was happy to bypass the chirpy ladies at the airline desk for the stern and no-bullshit faces of TSA. Flight 785-9 was serviced to Chicago, now boarding premium platinum members with our company logo tattooed on their person. Please cue on the red carpet and prepare to show your tattoo. I checked my ticket, not me. I don't know why I bothered. I didn't have the tattoo. Still, I abandoned the mass-manufactured blue chair for the amorphous swarm of people anxiously awaiting the call of their class, or lack thereof. Four hours, two cups of coffee, and one plane change later, I tooled across Oklahoma's open roads. The temperature was about the same as in greater DC, but the scenery, well, it couldn't have been more different. Once outside of Tulsa and away from the I-44 corridor, I could see, like really see. Sometimes I forget how beautiful our country is. The farther off the beaten path I got, the nearer the roads became. The asphalt surface faded into the adjacent earth and it became difficult to tell where one ended and the other began. Driveways emptied to the road every now and then. Wide Paths worn in the dusty earth marked by a mailbox and the occasional garbage can. Nature going where it wanted to go, doing what it wanted to do. The GPS in the rental car brought me to the entrance of Buford Winston's ranch. I expected the larger-than-life Ag Now chief to live in a high-end estate with as much in common with the ranch as a raindrop has with the monsoon. Well, I'll woman up, I'll say it. I was wrong. Buford Winston lived in a working ranch. From the long line of fencing stretching in both directions, it was a big ranch. Some fields were planted, others had cows. One side of the driveway had a long pen of mules. A lot of mules. Couldn't say I've ever seen one up close before. They're oddly attractive creatures, intelligent eyes and a spring in their steps. They followed along as I rolled up the driveway, kicking dust even as, a, as slow as I was going. They trotted ahead. Yeah, they knew where they were going better than I did. The driveway headed straight for a sprawling ranch house with a low porch running the full length. I stopped and parked where the gravel path turned along the house. At the fence line, the man of the hour stood in deep conversation with one of the asses. Buford Winston wore jeans up to the widest point of his big belly. plaid shirt was tucked into the pants and everything was held in place by a pair of beige suspenders. His head was covered by a cowboy hat the same color as the suspenders. I stepped out of the car to face the man who likely arranged my husband's death. I felt naked. Not with respect to clothing. I mean, Jessica Fielding's professional suit, sensible heels, and blonde wig were impeccable. It was my personal safety. I didn't have my gun on me. The bulge would ruin the lines of the suit and tip off the experienced hunter that I wasn't just a little lowrider from Chicago, 
I was sure Buford Winston had guns around, but none were on his person. The only bulges were homegrown. I planted a smile on my face and started the game. Mr. Winston, I'm Jessica Fielding with the American Science Quarterly. I came around the car, extending my hand. Winston took and shook, though by the expression on his face it was out of manners. It was old habits. Jessica Fielding from the American Science Quarterly. He shook my hand slowly, his head moving at the same rate. Can't say as I recall having anything on my calendar for a face-to-face meeting. I imagine how Jessica would feel, which, as attended, brought a blush to my face. We don't exactly have a meeting scheduled. I worked with your secretary to meet you at your office, but it, it didn't work out. I learned you were here today, and, well, I, I took a chance. Cute, irresistible grin. Buford took a small carrot from his pocket and fed it to the ass. Who likes her carrots? Does Buttercup like her carrots? Yes, she does. I realize this is unconventional. Young lady, it's downright rude. I have an office specifically for the purpose of conducting business. I have a home specifically for the purpose of living my private life. Give me one good reason why I shouldn't throw you off my property. Plan B, cupathetic eyes. I'm a freelance writer just starting out. American Science Quarterly is interested in my article, but I need you to be able to finish. You're right, it was rude of me to come here, but I'm a desperate woman. What's your article about? It's called Old Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. I spoke fast, the way people do when they're overly excited about something. Get it? Like Old Mother Hubbard from the nursery rhymes? So it's about how, with global warming, our food producing capabilities are not going to keep up with the pace of the population growth, especially in desert climates. I did a lot of research on Professor Gavriel Bruchinsky's work in the field. You sponsored it, so you must have supported it. I have so many questions, and you're the only one who can answer them. Winston stroked Buttercup's long nose. Why aren't you talking to Professor Lou? She took over the work. That's a good question. I did, but she didn't... She didn't explain the science. Like, you know, not the humanity of it. Oh, God, somebody shoot me. I'm talking like Andrew Dixon. No, she wouldn't. Winston measured me up head to toe. You look as out of place as a fish riding a bicycle. Cue smile number two. I would have worn jeans, but you know, I wanted to look professional, because I am professional. I mean a professional writer, not like a professional professional. I know a lot of folks who think being professional is about the way they dress, what watch they wear and what golf clubs they own. A professional does what they do for the better of society they serve. Put on your jeans, Miss Fielding, and we'll talk about feeding the world. Winston showed me to a bedroom in the ranch house. Spacious rooms blended one into the other, giving a sense of freedom and space matching the Oklahoma setting. The bedroom was designed to make a guest comfortable. I made use of the attached bath to relieve myself for the previously mentioned coffees, then dressed in jeans and a performance tee. A lightweight jacket hid my holster in the 9mm it carried. A knife slid into the ankle sheath and covered with my boot-cut denim. Fully attired, I rejoined Winston in the main room. Winston ended a call as I walked in. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Your call, I mean. I know. My just being here is an interruption. I hoped he was enjoying my impression of an insecure neophyte. For myself, I think my IQ dropped a few points. More comfortable there? 
I nodded, cueing smile three. Much. The suit comes with the job, but this is the real me. He nodded. You shoot, Jess? A little. I once had a boyfriend who enjoyed shooting, and I went with him a few times. Why? I was going to take target practice before you rolled in. We can chat out there. Perfect. Winston led the way out of the rear of the house and climbed behind the wheel of a golf cart. Shooting ranges on the other side of the ranch. We'll get there faster this way. I rounded the cart to the passenger seat, noted the cases for handguns already stowed in the cargo area. Winston took us out to the road, down a quarter mile, and onto a dirt path with ruts custom made for this vehicle. Winston and I didn't speak on the drive. The chugging of the golf cart and crackling of the gravel made conversation at a casual decibel impossible. I studied the big bastard. He had the look of a hard-working good old boy, someone who grew up getting his hands as dirty as his boots. He didn't look like the player he was. We bounced over ruts until we reached a mound of earth three times as tall as me with targets lined up across the front. Some were purchased, probably made somewhere in China and shipped here for rich folks to put their money into. Most were random. Tree stumps works as pedestals holding objects of various shapes and sizes. Glass, plastic, ballistic material, half a desk lamp, an old car door with a white number eight in a blue circle, a scarecrow with no arms and one leg. The space was a cross between a junkyard, a graveyard, and a hot mess. So go ahead, ask me your questions. Buford slid out of the cart and began moving the gun cases to the table set permanently in front of the shooter's position. I only had one. Why did you kill my husband, you son of a bitch? Of course, I didn't say that. I went through the list of reportedly, reporterly questions that I developed on the plane. Why did you become interested in the food shortage crisis? What were your goals in funding a project such as Professor Rupchinsky's? Were you satisfied with the progress? I asked a question. I fired. He answered a question. He fired. Gradually, I brought the topic around to what mattered. I understand you were there the night Professor Rupchinsky died. Bang, bang, bang. Winston sighed heavily. His shoulders sagged for an instant, and then he brought his hands up. Yes. Bang, bang, bang. One of the worst nights of my life. Right there with you, buddy. So what happened? I mean, what really happened? I read the police reports, but, well, there has to be more. Bang. Nice shot. Thanks. I had been careful to miss the target, shooting like the rookie I claimed to be, but I'd been focused on his answer and not my cover. Yeah, I nailed the bullseye. Winston transferred his gaze from the target to me. You read the police reports. In Italian? Something in those sharp eyes made me swallow. In English, translated. My Italian is limited to mozzarella and fettuccine. I struggled. What can I say? I'm thorough. I bet you are. Bang, bang, bang. I was there all right. Drank a beer with the leech who wanted to attach to my wallet. One minute, Gabe was enjoying a drink, and the next, he's dead in the street. Gabe? Gabe? Oh, no, he did not. Leech died that night, too. Professor Thalen? He was hitting you up for money? Winston chuckled as he reloaded. Nothing so nefarious, Jess. He wanted his own project grant funded. His concept wasn't bad, but his scope was too limited. Not to speak ill of the dead, but the man was as cheap with his ideas as he was with money. So why did Professor Rubchinsky leave the hotel? Bang. Am 
out of bullets. Good. Now tell me who you really are. Winston held a 44 capable of making a hole in me big enough to see daylight through. He was a big man, but an old man. I could outrun him, but not the bullet. Slowly raised my hands, empty gun and all. I, I don't know what you mean. He cocked his head. You don't want to lie to me. You're not a reporter, not with the magazine or anyone else. You're not as young as you pretend to be, not as stupid either. It's not what you think, I feigned scared. Then I roundhouse kicked the gun out of his hand and landed in a shooting stance with my barrel aimed at his heart. Take it you have one bullet left? You're full of surprises, aren't you, Jess? He shook the sting out of his hand that I kicked. The name is Diamond. With the ruse gone, I spoke in my voice, letting the cold show in my eyes. I know you killed Gabriel. I did not kill Gabe. Armed or not, Winston was dangerous. Those thick hands flexed as if ready to break something or someone in half. Let's get that straight between you and me right now. Didn't kill Thalen either. He turned his back on me as if he didn't have a loaded and deadly weapon trained on him. And I'm not talking about the gun. After you two butted heads, did you send him a drink? He snorted as he turned. If that's the best you got, go on back where you're from. He stood his ground and I stood mine. Who do you work for? His wife. Winston lowered his eyes. Emotion drained from his face until only the subtle sadness remained. Gabe was one of my best friends. He was passionate about his work and he was passionate about his wife. How'd she die? Oh no. She's dead. We're gonna have to fix this part. It's too late. We're just we're not cutting this out because I'm too lazy, right? Alright, listeners, so I'm backing up two lines because I screwed that up. After you two butted heads, did you send him a drink? Buford snorted as he turned. If that's the best you got, you go back where you came from. He stood his ground as I stood mine. Who do you work for? His wife. Winston lowered his eyes. Emotion drained from his face until only a brutal sadness remained. Gabe was one of my best friends. He was passionate about his work. He was passionate about his wife. How is she? She's dead. Oh no. Buford staggered, catching the table for support. When? How? A week or so ago, she fell asleep and a candle fell over. There wasn't a need to finish the thought. This may sound wrong, but I'm glad Gabe died first. The way he loved his woman, he wouldn't have survived her passing on. Grief carved new lines in Winston's full face. There was nothing laughable about the curve of his mouth. His red eyes had been trampled by crow's feet. If she's dead, why are you here? I lowered the gun and put Jessica Fielding away. Because I made a promise. As Winston stared, I removed the wig and the netting containing my own dark hair. You knew he was killed. Why didn't you press the Italians to investigate? I did! Damn near ended up in jail myself. It was likely the scene Ilsa had witnessed. They were so focused on Thalen, they wouldn't listen. Never made sense to me. Why him? Nobody kills mediocrity. It's its own punishment. The cocktail Thalen drank was served to Gabriel. When he left it behind untouched, Thalen helped himself. Cheap bastard would be alive today if he brought his own drinks, he swore under his breath. 
Why was Gabe killed? Do you know? Should have been easy to stay hard ass on Winston, but he was so pissed off it took off my own edge. I was hoping you could tell me. I laid it out, what went down in general terms. Winston's face turned beet purple. Thought he was going to have a heart attack. As I was trying to figure out how to find his sternum for CPR, he stalked back to the table, picked up two guns, and unloaded them into the rest of the scarecrow. Casings flew in a scene straight out of the freaking Old West. When both clicked empty, he turned to me. Feel better, I asked. For all the good, it did. His face was back to human color, though his heavy brows were still pushed down. Let's go to the house. I have some things you need to see. Those last few weeks, Gabe was acting bipolar. We'd chat and he'd be normal, and then he'd send me some email completely out of the north pasture. We got into it a few times. I'll admit I went cowboy on him, but he went Russian all over me. In his office, the emails recovered from Gabriel's account showed few to Winston. But his computer surprised me. If they'd spoke regularly, there'd be less emails. Gabriel had been frustrated by Winston those last few weeks, getting as loud as Winston had just done. He was angry Winston was losing confidence in his worth and put the blame squarely on Winston's shoulders. Were you going to pull out of the project? I asked. No. Candid, definitive, I believed him. When Winston removed his hat and ran a hand through his thinning hair, I may have threatened, but it was just to sober him up. Gabe was nearly finished with the first phase, and we were getting ready to move into field testing. It was just, he came out of left field with ideas. Costs would double, maybe triple. He knew the money didn't exist. The benefits couldn't justify the extras. His fingers danced over the keyboard. Read this, you'll see what I mean. Winston brought up an email I'd never seen before. The from stamp hit Gabrielle's email address. The subject referred to the grant project. The body of the email was formal. It referred to specifics of plant data and projections and made demands on modifying the scope for the next phase. Yeah, the word choice was off. My husband used a very formal English in emails, one reflecting a textbook education in the language rather than growing up with it. There are a few exceptions. He used the word chat for talk and said the word in the same accent Winston just did. I wondered where it came from. He used the word on instead of the word about. He would think on, talk on, dream on, etc. There were other examples, nuances of the language that pointed to the author's identity. Gavriel didn't write this. Winston raised an eyebrow. You know him well enough to be sure? I didn't answer. Instead, I scrolled down the email. Are there others like this? I want to send them my guy. I'll bring him up. While Winston worked his computer, I called Dix. Andrew Dixon's phone. The voice wasn't Dixon's, but someone older and more cynical. Ian? Diamond? How's Missouri? Oklahoma. Where's Dixon? He's here. Hold on. Ian screamed for Dix at the top of his lungs. He's coming. Holy hell, Ian. Jeez, I was using that ear. Sorry, he said. You doing better? I asked. Yeah, kid knows a thing or two about treating bumps and bruises. He can cook, too. He snickered. Heats up a different can of soup for each meal and makes these monster sandwiches. Damn, but that kid can eat for a skinny shit. Do you know his birthday was just a few days ago? He wouldn't say, but I think his old man gave him the black eye. You be thinking right, Ian. 
Hell of a way to grow up. Here he comes. I'm going to put you on speaker. Hey, Diamond. Dixon sounded the kind of happy and carefree his, didn't, his life didn't have. Or maybe it was in spite of what his life didn't have. Hey, Dix. I hear you're making a pretty good nurse. Don't let Ian talk you into wearing a uniform. They groaned and chuckled. Dix, I need you to get back into the emails. I'm here with Buford Winston. He exchanged emails with Gavriel, but they weren't the ones you gave me. Give me a few dates. Dixon was all business, taking the dates and the subject lines. Winston leaned toward the microphone. Well, boys, it was a series of emails called Quinoa Phase 2 Scoping. Buford read the dates and the email exchanges. There may have been a few others, but those are the ones that got me hot and bothered. Clicking of computer keys came through the speaker. Dixon grunted and then Ian. They chirped and geeked to each other over what they were seeing. Finally, Dix spoke in English. Series isn't here, Diamond. My mind flipped through possible solutions. Could you have missed it in the download? No, I didn't pick and choose files. I snatched the whole enchilada. Ooh, Ian, let's get tacos for dinner. Guys, focus. How can Winston have emails from Gabriel's address but they didn't come from his account? We need the emails, Ian said. I have a few ideas, but we're going to need the emails to get behind them. I can link into Winston's system and download them, Dixon said. I'll get everything from Doc's computer for a comparison. Now hold your horses, boys. Winston held out his hand as if the dynamic duo could see him. I have confidential information in my email. I can't have you just rooting around like a pig for truffles. What's a truffle? Dixon asked, but plowed forward without waiting for a response. Candy, right? A kind of chocolate? I bet it would go great with tacos. I can be in and out like 10 minutes. Winston scratched his head. Is he talking about truffles, tacos, or emails? I can't keep up with the boy. If you can, I said. Dix, remote into this computer and identify only emails from Doc. You hear me? I come home and find anything else and your ass is dropping three floors the fast way. Winston raised a brow in my direction. You live with those boys? Yes, they answered simultaneously. I tried not to laugh and failed. The tension I hadn't noticed fell away. They're like cockroaches. They stay no matter what I do. The twinkle came back into Winston's eyes, and he let Dix have his way with his computer. From what I could see, Dixon minded his manners and didn't take more than he was supposed to. The four of us worked past dinner time. I left them to the emails and tacos and joined Winston on the deck for steak. Serenaded by crickets and cicadas, we drained a fine bottle of bourbon. As the moon rose, I came to accept Buford Winston wasn't an ass, but he was a friend. Damn it! I need another suspect. Well, that's it for this episode of Mysteries to Die For. In two weeks, we'll pick the story up with the next chapter. That's what I call awesome. We're getting close to the end here. Only a few more episodes, so stay with us. If you enjoyed our twist on storytelling, help spread the word by telling a friend or leaving a review. For less than the cost of a carton of carrots for Buttercup, you can join our Body Bad Brigade to help support our show. You'll receive bonus content as our thanks. Mysteries to Die For was written by T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by Shannon Leahy. Widow's Run was written by T.G. Wolf and published by Down and Out Books. Until next time, keep your friends close and your enemies closer.
Now let's open the French doors and join Jack in the piano room. I can't believe you made me just go through that big flub. You are not lazy. I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> well, hopefully our audience will laugh at it rather than think how unprofessional could they be that they didn't use the technology at the tip of their fingers to just edit it out. And that is a hope we have. I don't really mind that much because I do like the pressure of performing live. But yeah, I just I got two or three words mixed up and there was no recovery. <laughs> so... Yeah, Diamond's in a pickle. She's running out of suspects. Except for Juan. Hmm? Except for Juan. What? Juan. <laughs> which we know, but the listeners don't know, unless they go buy the book, which they should totally do, <laughs> for only a certain price of which I do not know. <laughs> so, um, we have been talking about what we're going to do for season two. Yes. Uh, we have been. And I'm pretty excited about it. I think that season two, we're going to go back to the oldest samples of mysteries that we can find. Oh, cool. <laughs> Stop talking like that. What? I definitely know all the things that we are doing. But we are both definitely in this, knowing what is happening. <laughs> well, don't worry, everybody. By the time we actually start recording episode two, Jack will know what we're talking about because he's going to have to create music to go with it. That's what you think. Well, some of the stuff you should find inspiration on. We're going to read stuff from the 1800s and the early 1900s. Well, to be fair, today I did write a lot of the music for today's podcast. However, I forgot it, so I made everything up. <laughs> So this is almost like a jazz edition. Like it's just purely, uh, what's the word for when you make stuff up on the spot? Improv. Improv. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot all the music that I had predeterminedly wrote because I just wrote it and write it as much as I just played it and then left. I think you need to write some of those chord progressions but down. I don't wanna. <laughs> like I completely forgot Dixon's. Um, yeah theme which is why the last theme was so weird and it was like that's vaguely familiar <laughs> i know i got some of the chords in there right <laughs> gotta have something oh my goodness hey well why don't you find some of your randomly improvised music to take us out for this episode cool <laughs> <laughs>